Well, good morning, everybody. It's good, good to morning. see everybody here. Especially welcome Russ Anderson after a long absence in the back corner there. Uh, I'd like to have Russ open in prayer, please. Sure. Father God, thank you for the opportunity you've given us to gather together and study your word. I pray that the Holy Spirit might enlighten our thinking as we look and consider the things that you've put there in your word to guide us and instruct us and encourage us in our walk with you. I pray for Jim and the others that are preparing and presenting in this class that they will provide the information you want us to hear. May our discussion be pleasing to you, for we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We're studying First Chronicles, and this lesson truly is a gateway to the Old Testament. It goes all the way back to Adam and to the time of Ezra and Nehemiah and that gang. We've been looking at it through the lenses of various Bible study methods. Um, one way of looking at this is if you know a Bible study method, and are able to use it, it's similar to the situation you've heard. Give a man a fish, what's the rest of it? And he can eat for a day, right? Okay. And teach him how to fish, and all the time kind of thing. And that's kind of the thing. I'm sure many of you have used many Bible study methods through the years, and hopefully as we exercise some of them through this course, we'll amplify our ability to dig deeper into Bible truth. Uh, I've listed a reference there that I found helpful, and this one is from Precept Awesome. Precept's got a series of Bible studies, and it's got about 60 different references that is given to them in much detail. Now the question is, why bother about genealogies? Paul writes to Timothy and Titus and says, forget about genealogies. At least that's the initial impression you get. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. Paul Bland Gorder, who used to be with Radio Bible Class, has given three reasons for genealogies. To these people, remember, they've been in captivity. They've kind of lost their identity. And before that, they had kings, and not all of them were good kings. <laughs> and so, during the captivity, they didn't have too much time to exercise their Christian faith. Um, there was an open persecution in the time of Cyrus, but in the Babylonians, things weren't quite so smiley face. 
it also teaches the unity of God. You've got the same God all the way through history, from time immemorial, from minus infinity to plus infinity, if that makes any sense on the time scale of God. And then finally, everything in the Old Testament points forward to the first coming of Jesus Christ, and he's coming again. And then the epistles point forward to the second coming, the book of Revelation, which we'll delve into this morning with Pastor Ken. We'll there be able to understand a little more about what God's plan is for the future. Now, there are numerous genealogies in the Bible. <clears throat> the patriarchs, and here we mean people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and his sons, are talked about in Genesis 5. The for the returned exiles, with the study, the passage that we're going to look at today. And then it gives the genealogy of Joseph, in whose home Jesus was raised in Matthew 1, and of Mary in Luke chapter 3. And this by no means exhausts the genealogical list. Nehemiah's got one. Uh, there's also one in Second Chronicles that talks about the various kings especially of Judah again. So as you try to trace your way through these genealogies, you'll see there's a mainline genealogy that starts with Adam and goes through Judah, who's the son of Jacob, through whom Jesus Christ is coming, and then Judah to David, second king of Israel, then David to the time that this passage was written in First Chronicles, uh, probably a bit before 400 BC. And then what he, so this is the main line gene genealogy in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And then it goes through the other sons of Jacob, the other lines, and can I get my map holders up here again? <laughs> okay. So here's the where they all are, kind of. Okay. And these are the various tribes of Israel are in these locations around here. I guess this one really doesn't give a real detailed tribe by tribe, but you can probably find maps in your Bible. Thank you. Okay, so he starts with Judah, and then he goes to Simeon, and I can't figure out the rationale for the order of these things. And then it goes to Levi, and the two that they concentrate on are Judah, because the line of Christ, and Levi, because of the emphasis on 
the temple worship that's given in the whole book of First Chronicles. And it talks about gatekeepers, musicians, um, people that are guarding things that are going on, musicians, singers, etc. And then it talks about the northern tribes, Issachar, Naphtali, Manasseh, Ephraim, and Asher. And then it talks about Benjamin, who's also there in the southern kingdom. Uh, you'll find there's a couple names missing from this thing here. And one of them is Dan, and the other one is Zebulon. Now, I don't have a clue as to why this is going on, but this is what the author of Chronicles chose to do. Various people have various explanations, but as far as I'm concerned, they're just guesses. So the purpose is the line of David and Christ, the historical continuity, Levi, the Jewish worship, and Benjamin, because it had the genealogy of Saul. And the author of Chronicles talks about Saul a little bit in chapter 10. As you, why don't you just look at the first three chapters and see if there's a name that hits you. You might consider one of your favorite Bible characters. I'm not asking to pin you down for one, but... Uh, and as you think of a name, just shout it out. Methuselah. Methuselah. That's, that's a good one. <laughs> Great for us old people. <laughs> Noah. Noah. Any special reason? Everything has to go through him, right? You're right. You're right. Starting over, huh? Harry? Well, I don't see the name up above here, but it's in the main line. It's, it's Hezekiah. And, uh, you know, we just finished reading about Hezekiah. But one of the things that he did is that he felt so strongly about God is that he made sure to go to the, uh, to the other tribes, even though they weren't under his control, to invite them to come and worship God the way it was supposed to be. And so that just sort of really impressed me as his love for God and for his fellow Israelites. Okay, this next section I've called genealogical trivia. <laughs> Things you can promptly forget if you wish. <laughs> okay. About Abraham? Abraham, yeah. He's pretty important. Why? What did Abraham do? Good. And his sons were? Ishmael and Isaac. Good. Okay, the next section I've called genealogical trivia. 
first of all, as you go to the New Testament, you'll find two lines. One is Joseph is traced through Solomon, and Mary is traced through Nathan. And so they kind of split right there. Okay, Dan and Zebulun are not included in Chronicles genealogy. There are three Caleb's mentioned in the genealogy. One is the famous one in the book of Numbers. There was one of the spies that spied out the land and gave a good report and says we can conquer. And then there's a couple of others. So this first Caleb is in 249, 415, and 656. The second one is the son of Hezron, talks about in chapter 2, 16 to 19. And the son of Hur is the third one in 724. And you'll notice this is a selective genealogy. Only one son of Adam is mentioned. And who is that? Seth. Seth, right? And Adam had obviously Cain and Abel. No mention of either one. And so it's a selective genealogy. Um, another interesting thing is the number of wives of David. <laughs> I don't have enough time. <laughs> <laughs> Not a whole book? Okay. Um, if you look at Second Samuel, First Chronicles 3, 1 to th chapter 3, 1 to 3, and you go on. Um, there's Bathsheba, which is 3.5, which is another name for Bathsheba. But if you look at 2 Samuel 5.13, it said he had many other wives as well. So in addition to the 15 that are mentioned here, the six, well, he had a small part of the kingdom, and the Nine, while well, he reigned over all of Israel. So that he had lots of wives. And it might be why Solomon had lots of wives too. There's some interesting tidbits about some key people. For example, Jabesh. Uh, these are probably worth reading. Um, would somebody read First uh, Chronicles 4, verses 9 and 10? First one who reads it, just start reading. Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. Pretty impressive. So what happened to him? He prayed. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> 
He got stuff. He got he got answers. Right. Okay. Uh, another person people think of is chapter one, verse ten. There's a guy named Nimrod, and he was somebody that Ken Horner can identify, a mighty hunter. <laughs> Okay, let's look at a couple more. Um, chapter 4, verse 14. Okay, would somebody read that one? We're in First Chronicles. And me, O no five, who begot Okra. Is that the verse? Uh-huh. Sarai begot Joab, the father of G. Harishim, for they were craftsmen. They're craftsmen, huh? They're craftsmen back there, like the craftsmen today. We've got a lot of craftsmen in this church, and we just look around and see a beautiful building here. Okay, then there were some potters of Edom, chapter 4, verse 23. There were the potters who lived in uh, Natum and Gitterah. They stayed there and worked for the king. Right. So the potters. And then men of valor, chapter 7, verses 6 and 7. Somebody read that one. The sons of Benjamin, Bellab, Baker, Jesiel, or Jediel, three, the sons of Bella, Esbon, Uzi, Uziel, Jeremoth, and Eri, five heads of father's houses, mighty warriors, and their enrollment by genealogies was 22,034. <coughs> so there's some mighty warriors, mighty soldiers there. <coughs> Tom Constance lists the key events of the genealogies. Adam as the father of all men, Abraham as the father of the Jews, and Moses, turning the page, <laughs> as the lawgiver. Okay, <clears throat> now what I want to do is I want you to rate some of the famous quotes on history. And if you think it's an accurate description, you can give it a five. If you think it's a poor description, give it a one <laughs> and anywhere in between. And I've got about a Ten of these. And after you've rated them, I'll tell you who wrote it. And for the most part, some was I got one that was anonymous. <laughs> we spend a great deal of time studying history 
which, let's face it, is mostly the history of stupidity. <laughs> okay, give your ratings. <laughs> Raise your hands. <laughs> what number would you give it? Who are the judges? One, two, three, four, or five. One low, five, five. The only thing we learned from history is we learned nothing from history. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the around and we haven't learned a thing yet. <laughs> 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 Somebody said four? Three. Three? Somewhere in the middle? It was written by Stephen Hawking. <laughs> 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 uh, who? <laughs> Rabbi Zacharias described as the greatest scientist since Einstein. He's a humanist, a cosmologist. He's a debater in tearing down a theistic evolution. He lived 1942 to 2018. Okay, here's another one. But what experience in history teaches is this, that people in government never have learned anything from history or acted on principles derived from it. Okay, what's your rating? That's a five. That's a five. <laughs> you like that one? Okay. That's G.W.F. Hegel. He's a German philosopher, and a lot of the communist doctrines have come from him. <clears throat> We learn from history that we learn nothing from history. George Bernard Shaw, Irish playwright, socialist. Oh, I shouldn't have told you who it was. <laughs> What's your rating? It's pretty much true. A lot of cynicism there, right? Those who cannot learn from history are doomed to repeat it. <laughs> that is a true statement. <laughs> Hear a lot of fives on that one, right? Okay, that was George Santayana, Spanish-American philosopher, socialist, 1863 to 1956. A similar one. Those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Same kind of rating. <laughs> that was Winston Churchill, 1874 to 1966. Human nature will not change in any great national trial. Compared to men of then, we shall have us as weak or strong, as silly and as wise, as bad and as good, let us therefore study the incidents in this philosophy to learn wisdom and none of them as wrongs to be avenged. What do you think of that one? I think he should have condensed it. <laughs> 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 that would help. That was Abraham Lincoln. He was pretty good at condensing the Gettysburg Address, but he didn't do too well there. 
in history, a great volume is unrolled for our instruction, drawing materials of future wisdom from past errors and infirmities of man. You like it? That was Edmund Burke. Um, he's a philosopher. Okay. History is for human self-knowledge. The only clue as to what man can do is what man has done. <coughs> It's R.G. Collingswood, 1889 to 1943, in the philosophy of history. Here's, a, here's one that says, I'll tell you who's written by Anonymous. <laughs> Mankind is so much the same in all times and places. History informs us of nothing new or strange. Its chief use is only to discover the constant and universal principles of human nature. <coughs> Man hasn't changed, just the toys have. Four or five, yeah. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that we wouldn't repeat it. <laughs> that's five. Actually, that's from the Bible. Um, this is um, Romans fifteen four. That's the first part of the verse. So that's what Paul thinks of history. And then there's an interesting thing that Ravi Zacharias said. Historic figures have homes and libraries. The Lord of history left no home and left one book by ordinary people. And what's the book? The Bible. So what's the impact today? Well, first of all, let me ask Micah this question. Is history required of everybody in your high school today? Yeah. Yes. Everyone has to take four credits of history. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's less of an interest in history than there has been in times past? Yes. I think so. I think there's more of an interest in changing history. Yes. Reinterpreting it. Or destroying it. Yeah. I think Micah's high school is unique. It's a military academy. They they focus on some of those things that are maybe what you don't find in a normal public school because even when I was in school there was a de emphasis on history. You know, it seems that even in the public school system, there's, where everybody agreed there's a de-emphasis. They didn't mention anything in schools they did it before. 
still three and a half years of history required to graduate from high school. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Even if it's de-emphasized, there's still three and a half years. The Soviet Union, they, uh, the dissenters used to say something that I think is kind of true today. They said, they said the future is always known, it's the past that's always changing. The <laughs> <laughs> people were trying to change it, that's for sure. They do change it. Our grandchildren were homeschooled and our, and, uh, my daughter came and got our old Collier encyclopedias that we bought in 1958 <laughs> because the history books that they were using were incorrect. Mm -hmm. And um, when they had their um, session where they meet together and, and judge and, and test the kids, these kids gave, quote, all the wrong answers. And Tammy marched in there with her encyclopedia and said, this is the truth. But that is a lie. <laughs> I was really proud of her standing up for it. But Good. Again, they did give the kids different grades, so. <laughs> and then I give you a couple of Bible verses there. It's kind of the biblical interpretation. Can we just read them together from the lesson sheet? Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Let's just read that one first. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. Whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Okay, let's talk a little bit about uh, what Paul says to Timothy and also to Titus about <coughs> genealogies. And they're, they're given here. He says, Now give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly education which is in faith. So are we doing something wrong by talking about genealogies today? Hey? talking about the pantheon of the Greek gods. These people spent endless time studying those genealogies. Who's, who spawned who? Whose brother was who? You know, Zeus and all that. that I think that's, that was, the, that was the, the genealogies he was speaking of. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings of the law. For they are unprofitable and useless. Does that mean that we shouldn't collect genealogies <laughs> for our families and things like that? Well, let me give you a couple of notes by Ryrie on Timothy and Titus. And these are his footnotes in the ESB study Bible. 
he references myths and he, endless genealogies in 1 Timothy 1, 4. They are mythical legends added to Old Testament history, which may have led to Gnostic teachings concerning emanations extending from God to creation. There's a whole ladder of things there. And similarly, in Titus 1.14, he says, Jewish myths is what he's talking about. This is in the verse. There are speculations of a Gnostic sort, supposedly based on Old Testament teaching. And then he refers to his introduction in 1 John. Um, and there were five points. And let me just put them up here. The first one is knowledge. Is more important than virtue. Just as long as you know a lot of stuff, it doesn't matter how you behave. The second one is the Bible, it is non literal. If you don't take the Bible literally, you open yourself wide open to a whole variety of interpretations. The third one, evil implies God not in God is not in control. I guess I can everybody see this or should I rotate a little more? I'll rotate I'll rotate. God has no body. He is only spirit. And the final one is no resurrection of the flesh. And what were these two? These are notes from Ryrie on his introduction to First John, where he discovers, discovers, discusses the subject of Gnosticism. So you've got these these key ideas. And there's another caution in the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verse 8. Can I get somebody to read that one, please?
See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Yeah, so that's your emphasis. And the early church in many places was infiltrated by this. So any comments? Let me just open up for general discussion for two or three minutes, and then I'd like Herb to say a little bit about next week. Anybody learn anything new this morning? You know, about the only thing I can see genealogy being good is whenever the captives came back, then they had a way of determining if they were true uh, Israelites. But after that, what's the purpose of genealogy? Health. Health. Yeah, I guess that's true. Mm -hmm. I think um, the Jewish genealogies have been lost uh, from, I don't know, maybe 70 AD gone. And therefore, if they're still looking for their Messiah, they would not be able to trace his genealogy. <coughs> And when he comes again, they'll realize that they, this is his second coming and that they missed him the first time. And he did have a true genealogy the first time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Dave, do you have any comments on genealogy from your LDS background? <laughs> well, I got a little bit of it done, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, God is always interested in the truth, and and truth has to stay the same, even though history flows, and you have to have a, a continuity, and the genealogies show a continuity, it shows all that, that the promises were given in each generation, and each generation carried those particular promises to the next generation, and and all the, the prophecies and the things that God gave, it had to play out as, as it had been written down, or God would have been shown to be a liar. You have to show that every time God speaks and says something and sets something in motion, it has to come about. It has to, to materialize, and it has to stay connected to all the other things that he said that were true, so that, that God's truth Okay, I'd like to make one more comment, and I'll turn it over to Herb and ask him to close in prayer as well. If you look at the genealogy of Christ as given, you'll see that there are four women um, 
and there was Rahab and Tamar and Ruth and Bathsheba, and you wouldn't put all those on the most moral people you know list. But God uses people like that, and God can use people like us, regardless of our past behaviors, and just God can work through us. And I think it's helpful to have the historical perspective. You look at the Bible, how many books are books of history? Uh, raise your hands if it's a book of history, and we'll recite the books. I'll recite the books of the Bible, if I can remember. <laughs> Genesis, that's history, right? Exodus? Numbers, to a certain extent, there was a numbering in the front part, but this history in the back part, with Caleb and some of the conquests and the spies. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, probably not, because these are primarily sermons of Moses. Joshua, history. Judges, history. Ruth, history. Okay, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. First Samuel, Second yeah. Samuel, First Kings, Second yeah. Kings, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, and then most. Then you get your books of poetry, of course, and you've got your books of prophecy, kind of round out the Old Testament. Uh, the Gospels, do they give history? A lot of history there. Acts, yeah, history of the early church. And then most of the rest of them are just letters, except for Revelation. And we'll find out a little more about it from Ken this morning. Okay, Herb, go ahead. Tell them about next week and close in prayer. Okay. Um, well, we're just going to be talking about the Ark of the Covenant next week and looking at that. Uh, from, like in Chronicles, the, you know, what it actually looked like, how it was built, the dimensions, and so on, and then also going on to what what was placed in the Ark of the Covenant. There were things that were placed in there, like the, the manna, the, the rod of Aaron that sprouted, uh, the, the, the Ten Commandments, um, and then seeing what, how that was used in the, in the worship back then and, and then what happened you know later on how Christ what he accomplished and how that applies to the Ark of the Covenant as well and then we'll see if anybody knows where it's at today okay <laughs> I was Harrison Ford <laughs> okay would you close in prayer pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you teach us in your word and, and how profitable it is um, for instruction and reproof and righteousness. We thank you that we can look at your word and learn all of these things and that nothing is insignificant from all the names that we read in, in uh, genealogies um, to the descriptions of what, um, what uh, you did, Lord, and as we read in the New Testament as well, everything 
It has purpose and meaning and is very important. We thank you for helping us to learn these things and just bless the rest of our time this Lord's Day morning as we hear from Pastor Ken this morning and help us have ears to hear and just keep us safely in your hands as we go from here today and help us to honor and glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah.